0: Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you here. Like I said a little bit ago, our service today, we're going to be reframing religion in general. So that means we're going to be reframing a little bit about how we view our own religion and how we, re- how we view other religions. And um, I wanted to start talking about what it was like for me growing up. I think, uh, who, who was a church kid growing up? Who went to church most of their life, if not all of their life, every Sunday with their parents every week? Who, who enjoyed it? Okay, less. I saw less hands, but that's okay. That's okay. No judgment, because I I was a church kid who got dropped off at church, so my dad could go golfing. (laughs) So I went to Sunday school in church with people at church, and then my dad would pick me up after his nine holes were done. Um, But anyway, growing up in church, I didn't see a lot of churches cooperating together. I didn't see a lot of... um, Uh, churches doing things together or organizing events together or you know having services together there was a few here and there but it wasn't a lot it was mostly your own church your own local church in in your building that you kind of you kept to yourself right Um, and then people who left your church for another church there was a term for that do you remember what that is anybody heard of that phrase before church hopping sheep stealing have you heard that one before um, it's it's the thing where, you know, like sometimes people go to like the bigger church in town because there's more for them to do, there's more activities, more services, better music, or whatever. Um, so church hopping uh, was, was a thing that people did sometimes. But this is all just within the context of Christianity. Hold on one second, my iPad's not working. Imagine that. We'll do this, okay. Um, so sometimes megachurch has got a bad rap because people would go to the bigger churches in town rather than your small church if you grew up in a small one. Um, because there was there was more for them to do, but it was, was the megachurch taking people? Not necessarily, people just sometimes want bigger, more attractional things. Um, but because of this, I think smaller churches, like the one that I grew up in, had a kind of a scarcity mindset. Have you heard of scarcity versus abundance mindsets? So um, let's use an example to, to, to talk about this. So, If you have a scarcity or abundant mindset, basically, if you have a friend who comes to you and says, hey, I just got a new job and it pays a lot more money, would you be excited for them or would you be jealous of them? And that's kind of the difference between scarcity and abundance. So if you have an abundant mindset, you're excited for your friend because it doesn't affect your life at all. They didn't get a job that you were trying to get, so it's just something good that they enjoy. If you have a a scarcity mindset, you may not like it because you didn't get it even though you weren't applying for the job. Sometimes siblings, like uh, my own, have a scarcity mindset. So maybe if you have a sibling who is always jealous of something good that happens to you, they have a scarcity mindset. But churches can also have these mindsets. So churches can sometimes feel that because someone's left or um, there's a family that was really involved and then they're not, um, that something happened or there's something wrong. Instead of just being excited for that family as they move forward in whatever their faith journey. Is And it's, it's hard as a church, especially a small church, when you see numbers dwindling, maybe after a pandemic, and you see like, oh, things are not as good as they used to be. It's hard to have an abundant mindset that God is going to do good things. Um, but I think that's a healthier approach. I think it's, it's going to create better opportunities for ministry when you're not scared of people leaving or bad things happening. Make sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, so let's, I think we need to reframe a little bit using an abundant mindset, how, does, how can we apply that to how we, rev, how we view religion, how we can re, we view other religions with an abundant mindset rather than a scarcity mindset, rather than people being stolen or taking away or sheep stealing or church hopping, how, how can we view a different way of that? Um, so there's, there's a term on which I want to use, it's not something I've made up, it's, I'm sure you've seen it around, especially when, when tragedy strikes, these words pop up, interfaith, have you heard of the word interfaith? It's um, Sometimes in colleges there's interfaith groups where different, um, different groups of people from different religions get together and have dialogue. Um, I think this is, a, this is a beautiful and it's wonderful and I think especially like after 9-11, we saw a lot of interfaith dialogue in New York City. There was lots of um, uh, Muslims and a lot of uh, Jewish folk and a lot of Christians that came together to, to combine resources to help the community uh, that was in need. I think that's beautiful. I think that this, this is really good, and I, I think it's it happens a lot in tragedy, but it doesn't happen a lot outside of that, unless it's an intentional attempt to create dialogue. Let me see if I can get my PowerPoint back, because we need to move on to the next slide. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so I think there's a lot of groups around the world that are promoting interfaith dialogue and interfaith exchanges. Um, and I found a lot of YouTube videos as I was doing research for the sermon that talked about that. Um, there's lots of groups that promote religious tolerance and religious um, association between groups, because I think that sometimes, after years and years of history of violence and uh, hatred towards other groups, it's beautiful to see groups coming together after years of pain. Um, but it doesn't always happen. I think there's a, there's a healthy way to do the dialogue and reframing religion. And it has to do a lot with how Christians proselytize, how we, um, we use the Great Commission to um, sometimes, use like a sales pitch basically. Sometimes Christians seem like salesmen, they're trying to sell Christianity to other people who may not be Christian or have another faith. And sometimes we, we, we proselytize in order to get people in. And it, it, that can stop dialogue pretty quick. Um, if you're going to buy a car and the salesman's real pushy, it, that that makes me like back away. Um, when you meet a Christian who's real pushy about them coming to your church or wanting to be involved, or you know, um, especially when um, before before we started Shade Tree and before we even lived in Ohio, and when we were in Kentucky, uh, we were just going to a church in Kentucky that heard that I had a degree in youth ministry, and you could see everyone's ears perk up because like oh, a free volunteer who has experience, right? So. Christians sometimes use um, skills or talents as opportunities to kind of bring people in, right? Instead of just letting people be a part of the community, they want them. Right? You know, it's a, it's a it feels like you're being sold something, right? And then, so have you ever met another person from another faith and it doesn't doesn't feel like you're being sold something? Have you ever, have you ever had an experience with like a Buddhist or a Muslim and it just feels like they are just a religious person and it, it's not something that they're trying to push on you or um, try, something they're trying to get you to change or see their perspective, they're just living their life, right? It feels different, and I think Western Christianity has not done a good job of letting people be, be themselves. I think trying, they're trying to change or, you know, um, get them to commit to something so that they are a part of the system, um, and that's part of that scarcity mindset, I think. If we, if we can get out of this mindset where we have to... Um, we have to feel like people need to to be with us, or else they, our church is going to fall apart. then it, 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 it creates a better environment, a healthier environment for people to grow and thrive, right Let's see if I can get this back again. It keeps shutting down. It was fine when no one was here, and it's like the Wi-Fi doesn't want me to work. Okay, um, so I think we can we can make a different experience when we're not trying to convert people. we're not trying to change people, we just let them be who they are, right? Um, When we can see outside of our own faith and humbly approach the world with curiosity and love, I think we can connect with other faiths and other traditions and break down some religious barriers that have been created over centuries, right? Um, I want to show you another quick video um, from Cardinal Robert McElroy, who um, talks about interfaith dialogue. In October of 1986, Pope John Paul II, invited all of the leaders of the major religions of the world to come together in the historic town of Assisi for prayer, a prayer for peace. This event electrified the world, and it pointed to the deepest realities that constitute interreligious dialogue. Interreligious dialogue seeks to build bridges among faith.